You're checking out the Nifty Q Show. All right, good morning, good evening, good night. Welcome into the Nifty Q Show. I'm interviewing founders, leaders, and awesome builders in the NFT industry. Today, I'm sitting with Charles Dew, CEO of Virtual Basketball Association, the first basketball manager game built for the metaverse. We'll be discussing how you can manage their virtual rosters, teaming up with large orgs like the NBA and 100 Thieves, their upcoming March 30th player mint, and much more. Charles, good to have you in here, man. Uh, I, I just want to know, how are you doing today? And then we'll get into the discussion. Awesome, man. Happy Thursday. It's great to meet, and I'm super happy to be on the show here. You can see, this is there's video, right? <laughs> yeah. We were in the office today in San Francisco, so you can see some of the folks on my team heading out to lunch. But uh, I'm happy to spend my lunch break here talking with you guys um, and sharing more about what we're building at the VVA. Dude, I'm, I'm excited to talk about Virtual Basketball Association. Like That topic in general is going to be a cool, cool topic. But I almost jumped the gun there when I introduced you because I wanted to know about GM Charmander and what what the heck is this this title that you have on Twitter? <laughs> uh, what, what is that handle? What does that come from? Yeah, that's so funny. Um, I think it was basically like I had not been huge on Twitter until I got into NFTs. And my thing was, is I wanted to have like a very fitting web three moniker and my name is Charles. And so when I was a kid, my parents actually, they can't pronounce my, they pronounce my name as Charles. And so when I was in college, I think freshman year of college, one of my buddies made this like face smash of me from Charmander to Charmeleon to Charsard because my parents called me Charles. And so ever since then, basically I had been using the Charmander name. Um, and then GM just has a sort of the double play almost on GM and as well as GM for the game context. And so it just came together like that, basically. <laughs> did, did you choose Charmander in one of those three Pokemon in the beginning? Were you a Charmander guy? Or oh, what? for sure. Fi- fire type always to start. Definitely. 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 Awesome, man. Awesome. All right. We'll get into the the good stuff. You guys were not coming here to hear about Charmander. Uh, VBA is a, a really cool topic because it, it kind of merges sports, gaming, and the metaverse. Uh, we're going to talk all things kind of w- what you guys are building. But before that, uh, I definitely want to get your origin story and how you found yourself in the non-fungible token space. Yeah, man. So um, as I said, my name is Charles, uh, born and raised in Minnesota, grew up a huge T-Wolves Vikings fan. Um, my first basketball game ever that I actually went to was a Yao Ming KG game. I think when I was in like third or fourth grade, um, sitting in the nodes bleed seats. And I think ever since then, I've just been in love with the sport. Um, Played through middle school, high school, um, in college, helped start a club basketball team where we'd go play against other colleges. Um, and then after I graduated, spent the year teaching in Taiwan. And then the past couple of years working as a product manager at Facebook and Instagram. Um, had been investing in NFTs, basic, or sorry, been investing in crypto myself since 2017 when I graduated from school. A buddy of mine actually had been talking about Bitcoin since like 2015. And honestly, man, I wish I had believed him in 2015 because <laughs> probably wouldn't be here right now. Um, but uh, the journey into NFTs actually was through um, actually art in the beginning. It was just like seeing the big push of like art NFTs in early 2020. And then when it really clicked for me was when I actually heard this game called Zedron which is this, for people who don't know, is this like digital horse racing game. And when I saw people basically building tools on top of this like existing ecosystem, I was like, okay, there's definitely a product market fit here because people are so obsessed with this thing that they want to build more things on top of it. Yeah, I remember Dapper Labs launched CryptoKitties, obviously, back in 2017. And there was this idea of the kittyverse, right? Like you could take your cats and go do something else. You can create a cat hotel for, for all of these cats. So 
Yeah, that's a that's a really cool concept. I want to hit on uh, first of all, you have some fans in the chat. DJ Savage is saying, uh, "My man, let's go Timberwolves representing Minnesota." Uh, so some Minnesota Timberwolves fans. Oh yeah, buddy, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Minnesota proud. I'm fa- I'm fascinated by China because I got into crypto in like 2617 when China was like super involved in like the day to day conversations with Bitcoin, with ICOs, with the market. What is China's role, you think, in the NFT space as we kind of like move forward? Because it it doesn't feel like they're involved, but maybe I'm wrong. Do you have any insight on like what you think China's role in the NFT and like Web3 space moving forward? Okay, well, this is I I won't pretend to be an expert here, but I have talked to some folks about what it would take for our project to expand into China, if that helps us perspective. And the big learning that I had there really is, is you need to partner with one of the big Chinese like corporations or businesses in order to break into that market. But that's not new for blockchain in general, right? Like that's just been the case for everything, right? Like when Riot Games went into China, they had to partner with Tencent to be the publisher, right? Because that's just how they did distribution. And so I think the same thing will happen for us is um, China will likely have their own like blockchains. And for us to actually enter that market, we would need to build our software and platforms on top of what they have existing. Um, that's my current understanding. And again, I will promise to be an expert on that specifically. <laughs> It's not financial advice either. <laughs> no, nothing is. Nothing is on this episode, guys. Uh, do your own research there. Uh, you mentioned Riot Games there. You guys have like teamed up with some really cool organizations. Uh, 100 Thieves. I'm a, I almost wore my 100 Thieves jersey to this uh, interview here. So what's your take on kind of Web3 merging with like esports orgs and like you're you're kind of i feel like on the front lines or kind of behind the scenes even with maybe having conversations i think john from 100 thieves is on your advisory board uh, i'm assuming right uh or did i get his i'm hoping i got his name wrong john please come on the show um i think i will there so john robinson and then we have a handful of other folks from riot as well so that's 100 thieves john robs 100 thieves and then a handful of other folks from riot um I won't say what they're doing for their companies because I think they're investing as individuals, not as the company. Um, But I know that for John, at least, um, he's just a huge basketball fan and had previously actually made a basketball video game himself. And so I think being able to get his mentorship and advice, both having run like a massive esports org and then having built like a like a sports game before has just been really monumental to us as a business. When does Riot Games get into the NFT space? Is that like a 10 year, 20 year time frame, or are they never going to do it? I know they're touchy about it. I know they're touchy about it. So I, I personally don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't want to, upset. they're doing so well as is. They, they are. They've taken yeah. my money. I'll tell you what, like I've spent a lot of <laughs> money on skins playing league of legends and then had an account banned. I can't ever get it back. Uh, but I, maybe I'm, I'm saying too much about myself there. Um, yeah, man. Just like, tell me a little bit more about like your experience. Cause I'm, I'm fascinated with like esports in the conversations you're having behind the scenes about bigger orgs getting into the space, like even an NBA, like you guys have kind of a who's who of, of people on your staff or like at least on your advisory board or what have you talking about NFTs and web three, and you're kind of mingling with them on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I would say that they're so, yeah, I think we're really fortunate to have like a really great group of investors and advisors who just cared about us in the business. Um, as you alluded to, basically like a handful of NBA owners um, who invested either through their family fund or their family office. Um, and then also a handful of like pretty big gaming execs. Um, what I would say there is like, um, we wanted to be tactful with our sort of partnerships because we know that long-term for this game to really grow, we need to make sure that we have like the right people in the right places. So 
while our game is initially starting off with like fictional players, it's something that we're sort of curious about, right? Is, you know, if in order for us to grow in the future, do we need to make sure that we have IP partnerships? Because those obviously have a large global reach um, and population who's behind them. On your last episode that we kind of mentioned before we pressed live, you were with, uh, I, I can't remember the name of the interviewer, but he did a good job. And uh, that's, that's if you if you hear me talk about you on my show, then you did a good job interviewing. Uh, but he talked about, or you to, you told him fantasy fantasy basketball like what is what does that term mean to you because I think some people get mistaken in like thinking that this is just fantasy football or fantasy basketball on the blockchain or in Web three. So what does fantasy fantasy basketball mean? Yeah, so to break down the word into two terms, basically, the first fantasy refers to basically um, us using fictional players and game simulations to basically determine the outcomes. And then the second fantasy basketball refers to basically the game UI, which feels like more like a fantasy basketball UI because us as adults are more familiar with it. Um, if I were just to like describe like why we landed on this is my childhood experience is my buddies and I would just sit in front of like the PlayStation and we would play like the GM mode. We were never really great at like the video game itself, but what we would do is like we would just sim games and sim seasons like over and over and over again, right? And one of my fondest memories is. I remember one year we were playing and I was the Clippers and my team went 79 and three. And it was because we had this random guy that we had drafted from like Eastern Europe and he was getting 30 points and 20 boards a game. And we would sit around the lunch table in high school talking about like, you know, what's this guy's background? Like, what's his story? And that's where the first fantasy comes from, right? Is like, it's this fantasy of like having played like NBA 2K, like GM. And we want to bring that into sort of the, like in a more like Web3 native and metaverse way. How deep do these fantasy uh, manager games go? Because I've seen the soccer manager games. I've never played a single one. I was always just kind of like playing online. I love the PvP aspect of just beating somebody <laughs> in, in the game. Uh, they can get deep, man. You can go like, I think like up to 100 years probably in the future. And like you can customize like new teams, new jerseys, new cities. Um, basically what ends up happening is like you can start it off. And then if you just sim like 20 years in the future, it's just completely different. And then you sort of have this new world that you can grow and develop afterwards. And so we, re- I really love that aspect growing up. Yeah, keep keep diving into that a little bit because I think we're right here on the cusp of like talking about the project. But how much did being an early gamer, especially from like a soccer man or I mean a basketball manager game perspective, play into what you're doing now and kind of like the role that you had even before you got into NFTs? I mean, this is something I've been doing probably since like seventh or eighth grade. I think my first video game was NBA Live, not to date myself, NBA Live probably 05 or 06. And I think T Mac was on the cover. Oh, th- McGrady? Let's go. Yeah, it was a T Mac cover, I think. And I remember it was the year that uh, the Heat played the Mavericks in the finals for, for D Wade's first rank. Um, and ever since basically that game, I just love like the manager mode more than the actual video game itself. Um, and so that's why, like, we're in our initial target market really is the folks who have sort of loved that like simulator experience, um, and we want to make sure that we provide like the best possible experience for that. I think maybe the 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 questions I want to ask next are more to do like in depth with the project. So give me just like a uh, breakdown of like the the origin story behind VBA, behind Fastbreak Labs, uh, and then we can kind of get into the project and and get deep down this rabbit hole. VBA was really born off of just like my personal interest in Zedron, actually, in that basically I was watching this horse racing game being like, people really love horses, but you know what like my favorite sport growing up was? It's basically basketball, right? And so like, for me, it was if people are willing to spend and invest like thousands of dollars and their time 
in this like fictional horse racing universe, the same thing will definitely exist for people who love basketball and sports. And so fast break labs is a company basically was formed under, okay, if we have this thesis in web three around like what happens when you give ownership to people um, and what happens in like a sports context, then fast break labs here is to create brand new experiences for those people. And BBA, because basketball was our favorite sport, just became the first concept that we started with. Interesting. So I, one of my biggest uh, questions here as we kind of go forward, people watch horse racing, not necessarily maybe for the horses, uh, whereas in the NBA, I feel like they're watching specifically to watch LeBron James. And how do you bring that into virtual reality where maybe you can't get that IP from the NBA yet, where you have to create these virtual worlds and with simulated players? How do you make an immersive experience that people want to be involved in uh, without a LeBron James or a Yao Ming, like you said, that got you involved uh, early on? That's a fantastic question. And um, I'm just going to touch on my personal experience playing fantasy sports, if that if that works here. Um, I remember I played fantasy football, I think probably starting in like middle school. And I was not a Tom Brady fan before, but I remember one year, I think it was like when he had 50 touchdowns, I had Tom Brady in my fantasy team. And I didn't even like, I didn't really know that much about him. I mean, maybe that just <laughs> shows how much I didn't know, but Ever since that year, like he'd been basically my favorite player since then because of how he carried my fantasy team. And so we think that like once you have like an ownership stake in something, that you start to draw a personal connection with it and you will start to root for it. It's like today basically like how many people can name more than like ten or fifteen players beyond like the superstars? It's very few, right? And so but we do think that people who do play fantasy will like automatically build this connection with all these other players that they'd never heard of before. And we think the same thing can happen with what we're building with the BBA. That's a really cool uh, topic of conversation. I think in order to have like a deeper combo, though, let's just talk about VBA and what you guys are doing, like specifically from a user perspective. So just tell me, give me like the elevator pitch for VBA and we'll jump into like what the mint looks like, I guess, at the end of the month. And then what season zero has in store for like potential users. Yeah. Um, so what VBA is, is a fantasy, fantasy basketball manager game where people will be able to put together teams of five um, fictional NFT players that compete in games, tournaments, and leagues for Solana rewards. Um, what it looks like really is, is we've built a simulator that basically takes into account all the attributes of these players and on a play-by-play basis basically outputs like you know, Charles got a rebound or, you know, Joe got a block, et cetera, et cetera. And the sum of those plays that basically is the determination of the game. And so the game loop really is, is you trying to figure out who the best players are and trying to find like the best combination of guys that could help you um, earn the most like Solana rewards overall. How does the gameplay work from like a visual perspective? Is it like Zed Run where there's maybe a like a 30 second visual aspect or does it, does it just compute and then after, you know, five seconds you find out the winner and all the stats? How does that look from the user base perspective? Yeah, so this we're going to experiment with. Um, the starting experiment that we have is actually we built out a UI that looks and feels like an ESPN box score, like a play-by-play effectively, right? And so what will happen is, is this game will play out over the course of like 30 minutes or an hour and you can tune in to watch certain bits of it or you can tune in and watch the whole thing and just have it sort of as a ticker on the screen. Um, the inspiration behind this is there's a lot of this is common fantasy basketball behavior, which is you're sitting on the couch, like you're watching TV, you want to see how your team is doing. So you check on your phone to see the score. You maybe watch a couple of plays, but you don't watch the whole game. 
And so that's the sort of experience that we're going after to begin with. Awesome. I want to stop here and give a shout out to everyone that's watching live. This is the Nifty Q Show. Uh, we're also going to be on audio afterwards, even though we are on YouTube live now. But it's awesome because we get some some live chatters here. Prodigy is asking, why did you choose Solana? Which I think is an interesting question. That's a fantastic question. Um, so our our main thing that we really cared about was like a fantastic user experience. And one of the things that like we love growing up and we know a lot of people love is just like ripping open packs basically to see like, you know, did I get that rare player? Did I get somebody special? And on a chain like Solana where like the transaction cost is low and there's just a really fast speed, um, you're able to do that in a way in which you, know, you, you sign on and then basically you can open the pack. If you're doing it on like an L1 ETH, for example, you're going to wait 10 minutes to see what player you got. And that's just unacceptable for users. Um, and so for us, it was just, it just came down to like, low cost, fast transaction speed would mean a great user experience for gamers. Yeah. I remember playing some of those early ETH games where it's like head into the portal and then it, you would sit there for 15 minutes and then the character might reload <laughs> the page, get there. Uh, is, is there like a feeding frenzy when it comes to like layer twos trying to find apps that like, did were there a lot of people that came to you and were like, Hey, we need VBA on Polygon. We need VBA on, on Avalanche. Uh, EOS, Wax, or is this kind of just you approached Solana and said, hey, can you kind of work with us on this project? So we had run a process um, where we evaluated a bunch of chains actually in the beginning. So like we went and talked to the teams at a lot of these L2 solutions and other sort of chains in the ecosystem. Um, and when we just were talking to them, the Solana team just impressed us the most. Um, and from there, basically the partnership developed. Were you speaking with like Anatoly, like in all of those guys? No, we were speaking with um, Kuleen and uh, Matt Sorok, who run their games team. Okay. But funnily enough, the Solana office is like like a couple blocks away from ours in SF. Oh, really? Okay, that's awesome. That's a cool connection. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on two seven. Yeah, I won't. I don't know if I can tell the address of it, but it's basically like a couple <laughs> blocks down the street from where we are. <laughs> yeah, don't don't dox them. But that's a. I mean, that factors into your decision, right? Like you have a geographical way that you can connect with those guys. So that's a that's a cool way to bring that back to IRL, even though we're in the metaverse most days. Uh, okay, so let's jump into kind of the mint that you have in season zero. Like, how can people get involved in this first piece? Uh, is Are the season zero people going to, or players going to have like extra incentives beyond like other drops? How does someone get involved maybe two years from now? Is it going to be like on a drop process uh, each quarter or something yeah so what season zero is and why we called it season zero is it's just like a playable alpha phase and for us our priority here is making sure that like the simu like the game engine design and the attributes was set up appropriately for us to grow the ecosystem afterwards and so season zero is this this core loop right where it's like you have your team you set it you change it you play in games and then you win um, but we have this sort of serving as the building block for like a more robust seasons and league system. So what we've done with the mint basically is we've signed all these players like years of experience already, one between like one to ten, right? Because we wanted to seem like they're going to retire, which they will. And so after season zero ends, season one, two, three, four, five, just like how there's a draft class every single year, we'll do new drops every single year. Um, and on top of that, basically players will progress and regress through the seasons. Um, to answer the question on like how do we get involved in the mint, the mint is actually in six days. Um, we're minting on March 30th, the first 2,000 packs. Um, each of these packs will contain seven players, and which I think is good value, personally. We, we wanted to price it pretty low in that like you would get seven NFTs for the price of one, and that would basically make it accessible for people to get started in the, in the ecosystem. 
what'll happen with the seven is that you'll get one player a week until the game comes out um, at the end of May. Got it. Uh, there's some really cool questions we can dive into here. My first is a conversation I had with Captain Kicks from Crypto Raiders in that when you have a game that also has financial value for assets, when you have something like a player retiring, what does that do to the price of the player? And all of these different things, like how are you putting in to account the value uh, the, that someone has in a certain player and then that player retiring, does it instantly go to 90% value, like negative value there? Or what, how do you view that kind of stuff? Yeah, so the value of any individual asset can come from a couple different sources, right? One is just like the collectible or like memorable value. And then the second is like the in-game utility value. And that second in-game utility value can be split across a couple of things, right? Is One is directly how much impact can they have on your team in-games and then other is like outside of games. So I'll describe this a little bit, right? And that like, um, maybe I'll draw like an NBA comp as an example, right? Like Udonis Haslam is the type of guy who's like been with the Miami Heat for like 20 years now, right? And he keeps getting checks from Miami Heat because he's been such like a, like a supporter of the franchise, right? He's taken pay cuts in the past and so they continue to keep him around because he mentors other players. And so we see one value for people who have retired is like, hey, they can join the coaching staff or join as a trainer or as a scout to help improve. Um, the other thing basically is, is um, basically, this is an idea, by the way, so it's, I'm not promising this at all, but it's like, you know, you have a Hall of Fame player who gets voted to the Hall of Fame and, you know, your player basically earns you like, a certain percentage of the revenue from the overall league because you have one of those elite players who did fantastic. Right. So there's different mechanisms that you can have that, that Web3 enables. And so we want to incentivize people investing in players making sure that they grow and develop. And then we want to reward people who do have the best and end up creating like value for the overall ecosystem. I'm a coach myself. Like I'm not a player. I tore my ACL in college, so I, I haven't played oh, in a man. long time. And uh, I'm that a cross player myself. Yeah, yeah, it, it does. And yeah, PTSD a little bit there. But well, how do you look at coaches? Like how are coaches viewed in these games? Because I, again, I'm not a player, but uh, of these manager games, are there, are, are there coach assets in the future for vba yeah so this is something that we think is interesting right in that if the core game itself the original audience is for the manager persona you can imagine that the person who's a manager might not be that person who's a coach right and so coaching can happen in two different ways one world is in which like i have the team and i go and hire a coach and now they're sort of like calling plays for my like virtual team and then the other world basically is now instead of just having player nfts you have coach nfts and now these coach NFTs can also have a variety of attributes and, and values that help impact and multiply the players in the team itself. We haven't decided on a direction yet, and this is why we're sort of doing it sequentially, is we want to do one system at a time, get feedback from the community, and sort of work with them to build in a direction that, that we feel is right collectively. Yeah, Coca Jenkins is asking, are there going to be other factors in the fantasy, like injuries? How does gameplay work for that? And I, I want to piggyback on that conversation of like, is there, in the algorithm of deciding the winner... Is there like a randomness aspect uh, to like having one team be maybe the worst team, but still winning as we see that happen in like multiple different sports, the human element almost? Yeah. Um, so in, so I'll talk about season zero and I'll talk about afterwards. So season zero, there will not be injuries. Um, in the future, if that's the direction in which the community likes, we can change that with lines of code, right? Same thing if like the community wants to do like a four point line, we can talk about that as a feature and say like, if there's enough, you know, community collective in that line, we can make the rule change. Um, in terms of like best team always winning, 
just like how Team USA loses to like random teams internationally all the time, or you'll see like like the Nets last night lost to the Grizzlies without like without John Moran, for example. Like that happens in the league, and so we wanted to make sure that there was still chances for the best team to lose to um, like a less good team. I, I'm 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 laughing here because there's so many people that sit at home and try to be GM and want to be the owner of a team don't understand the financial aspect of a lot of what goes on. If you add injuries, if you add injuries to the game (laughs) and I have this awesome player that's worth a lot of money, a quote unquote LeBron James esque of VBA and he gets hurt for his whole career. Like he like loses his leg or some, some BS like that. The financial aspect actually hits you in in the NFT space when you add the web three version. (laughs) That's why we. That's why we didn't want to include it right away. Actually, is like you can imagine being the guy who drafted Greg Oden, right? Like exactly. You draft Greg Oden. You've been a first round pick, millions of dollars on him, and he's injured. And it's like you're a manager, so you're helpless in that sense. But it does happen, right? And you lose millions of dollars. <laughs> Jesus, this just got a. Uh, we just up the stakes here. Uh, <laughs> the other piece I wanted to touch on gameplay wise was like rarity versus skill. I think there's a cool like concept that you broke down with the other interviewer. Uh, that was like sometimes you have players that are super like hyped up and they don't turn out and then you have vice versa. How do, how do you break that down in VBA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also started realizing that I, I've been throwing a lot of shade on NBA players recently. It's not that they know who I am, but like I definitely have a lot of NBA takes here. Um, so just to give it at a high level, right, is we've in, in the initial version, we have five rarity classes. So underdog, rare, special, elite, and legendary. Um, and season zero will have the highest likelihood of you getting like a very rare special player um, because we wanted to reward the people who joined the ecosystem early, right? It's traditional for Web3 and NFT space. Um, however, that said is how do we go from the rarity all the way down to the player attributes, right, is the question. And so the way that I would describe it is, is you know, we have the rarity and what the rarity does is it says, okay, you have a higher likelihood of being better on these ranges for the attributes, but it's not guaranteed, right? And so just like how you can imagine, like, you know, there are people who like are Jimmy Butler, like the 30th pick in the draft who turns out to be a superstar versus people like Anthony Bennett, who are picked first overall and turn out to be a bust, right? That probability can still happen. And so we've designed it in a way in which like people who are underdogs can still turn into stars and people who are legendary can turn into busts. Yeah, I'll piggyback off this one. Uh, we had a comment here from Lama in the chat about whale, whale skills, but I, I want to piggyback that off that and saying how, I mean, every game in Web3 is going to have this problem when you financialize something. It like monopolizes in that Pareto principle. But how do you stop whales from kind of dominating this game? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Um, the way that we're thinking about it now is through um, multiple different game modes and constraints, right? So you're right in that as currently constructed, it's a one variable problem, right? Which is I need to get the best five players and I'll win every single time. Um, the way that the real league does it is through salary cap, right? And says, okay, well, I have a salary cap in place. You can only spend a certain amount of money. Um, that's one of the solutions we're evaluating. There are a handful of others as well, but we do want to make sure that this isn't a pay-to-win game and that it has the right balance between like, um, like user skill and not just money taking advantage here. Um, you can imagine that like on a five-player basis, it's less skill, but you can imagine, okay, now when you start thinking about bench and substitutions, then the actual skill of like, okay, I need to make sure that I manage fatigue properly and, and over the course of a season becomes more of like a managerial challenge. 
I hope you guys at home are understanding like how cool this project is. And like, there's little projects like these in the space. Uh, and I, I don't mean to say little, I just mean to say not board ape and not all these PFPs that like come along, uh, where you guys like have such cool mechanics that have the capability. Like one thing I want to touch on right now is the customability of, or the customizability of your teams in this environment, right? Like you could choose gear, you could choose different, uh, you know, arenas, all these cool things. Uh, can you break that down for us and like all these different features that you guys have planned uh, in the future? Yeah. So cool things that I would touch on here are the arenas in the land and then the gear as well. So this is not all in season zero. I, we're like a 14 person team. So we got to take this thing one step at a time. Um, but to talk about like land and arenas first, basically is, um, we would love to have basically like, you know, one of one ownership over like LA, New York, Chicago, like, you know, middle earth, like things like that, basically that people feel a personal connection to so that you are like the team, right? Like just like how the Lakers have become like the team there. We think that that's something that we can do. Um, in terms of arena customization, it's just like, okay, now you have player NFTs. You can also have an arena NFT. You can merge other NFTs with that NFT that are basically like, you know, speaker systems, more seats things like that, that sort of enhance like your ability to perform well at home. And then the same thing with, with gear as well is I, I think that one thing that's really special about web three is like, it's really about empowering creators. Right. And so like, if we can put the tools in front of somebody to say like, okay, I'm going to go out and like create like shoes. And I'm going to, I'm going to be like the Nike of the VBA and I'm going to create shoes. I'm going to design them better than anybody else. Like we want to create mechanisms for that. I'm, I'm not saying that we figured it out yet, but I think that's like one of the cooler opportunities that we can, we can create with this universe. Yes. Yeah, it, I mean, as we move further down that rabbit hole, I played a lot of Sim Cities. I played a lot of like city builders. I mean, I are you going to reward <laughs> yeah. the best? I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan. Jerry Jones is not the best GM, but he's a great owner, you know, and he's great for the the the, the NFL brand. So, are you going to reward people that like have the coolest customized jerseys or arenas? How do you look at that and not just the game itself? Yeah, um, that's a great question. One thing that we've been talking about is like within any game, like there's different loops and modes for different types of users, right? So um, taking our game originally is our initial concept is targeting like the manager, right? So we want to reward people who have like the best skill when it comes to finding the players. You can imagine another loop now that becomes, okay, um, the coaching loop that I mentioned, right? Is now we have another role, which is the coach role. And these people get paid by managers to be the coach of the team. And that's their skill set. Um, Zed Run, for example, has two loops right now, right? One is, you know, I have the best racehorse, and the other is I'm the best horse breeder, right? And so you can sort of think about it as each system compounding on top of the other. Um, and that's all what a game is, right? Is it's basically a set of systems. And so if we have this, this core system, we can always add other systems to make sure that people who have certain interests and skills have an opportunity to shine through. Yeah, one one thing you're not going to have in this game, I believe, is is breeding. Uh, you, you clearly have like a, a no. <laughs> like a men's. <laughs> we have people. <laughs> well, we we actually have men and women playing together in the same league. Oh, okay, which I think is, but we're not going to do breeding because I just think that's something that we don't want to touch. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, it just feels weird to have people breeding, but we do want to emphasize that like diversity and inclusion is really important, right? Because one of the things that's cool about the metaverse is you can do things there that don't exist in real life. Men and women, it's been like discussed at depth, really, right? Like the pay gap between men's sports and women's sports. So in the VBA, like we believe that like men and women should compete and be fairly on the same levels. And so when it comes to our games, men and women play in the same leagues, have the same skills, have the same abilities. Love it. Love it. Love that you touched on that as well. Uh, I do want to hit on a couple more things that's related to like 
I, I would say probably like gameplay. Um, I let me see. Let me check my notes really quick. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. So the, my I guess it's not actually like a gameplay question, but the rabbit hole piece would be like creating IP, right? Like you're not. We touched on it earlier, but creating IP around characters here. Like, how are you planning on maybe having like a, a, a network that covers this stuff or creating lore about certain characters? And how do you view that kind of stuff? So this is something that like I'm very, very bullish on because I think that this is one of the cool things that happens with Web3, right? Is okay, now you have this decentralized IP that you know people own and they can do anything that they want with. Right? Like I've minted the player, but you own the player, right? You own him. And so you own him or her. And so you can say, like, okay, this is like Jessica Jones, just like how there's like, you know, board ape number like 305 is a Twitter personality. Right? You can create a personality off of this NFT now that you own. And like, I think a world in which like people are creating like their own stories and backgrounds and sort of contribute to the journalism, the league makes it sort of a, makes it able for us to sort of appeal to a new class of which is the fan class, right? It's basically saying like, okay, now we have fans of this ecosystem who are like following along for the journalism, the stories of the league, not just to play the game itself. Um, how we start, how we plan to bootstrap this in the beginning is I think one thing that we can do is like because we won't have that many users in season zero is just sort of pilot and demo, like what it would look like for us to have journalism from like the ESPN of the VBA. Right. And sort of do like stories and hot takes and talking about, you know, what's happening in the games and what's happening in terms of trades and things like that. You mentioned like little Michaela being uh, like a web two version of this. Right. And like super plastic is a web three version of this in a sense. I think they're doing a good job of like having creators that are like super popular. They're influencers, but they don't exist in in IRL and I've needed to kind of like change my mindset on this. I feel like a geezer that's asking me about NFTs when it when it comes to like virtual people and having them be actually influencers or like some of the most popular people um in the world. And I say people in quotations like school me a little bit more on like even the web two versions of this and where you see this going. Yeah. What's interesting that I see now is like these are there's all these new like I don't want to call it Gen Z behaviors, but it's like young people behaviors, right? Where it's like people are like having like an anime character as their rig when they Twitch stream. So instead of them, they have like an anime character on top of themselves and they move and smile and their anime character moves and smile. So they're already using virtual avatars in Web2 to sort of represent themselves. And you see this a lot in like Twitter where people will just slap their like bored ape or like the God or some other NFT over their face. Personally, they're doing an IRL because like they want to stay anon and you know they're more recognized by that PFP instead of themselves. And so I actually really think that like as more and more people prefer to be seen as like this virtual representation and avatar, that it'll become more and more normal for us to interact with like virtual personalities that like people manage but aren't actually real people. How do you look at incorporating other NFT assets into the game? Right? Like you've partnered with all these like or at least have advisors or people on the staff that have been at all these big companies. There's also like Web three native companies. Like, could will we see a board ape potentially inside VBA, or how do you look at that kind of interoperability? We're really, really bullish on that as well. I think like interoperability again is one of the advantages of of blockchain as a whole is being able to bring those assets into the universe. Um, that's something that we would want to pursue um, as we grow the ecosystem to engage more communities um, once like the core loop in the game mechanics are sort of in place awesome charles hit me up with any more information on, on vba we're like 40 minutes uh into the interview here we usually go about 50 so we, time flies man. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 
you're a great guest, man. You're a great guest. So, uh, yeah, that always does. It, it, it sucks when it like drags on and you're like, damn, it's been 20 minutes, but I want to end this interview now. So tell me anything more about uh, VBA, man, that maybe we haven't touched on yet. Uh, I think I have some more questions, but definitely want to hit everything and make sure I'm not leaving anything out. I think we've actually already touched more, most of like the big talking points here. Um, what I just like really want to emphasize, I guess, sort of as like the principles behind VBA is that I think at some point down the road, like NFTs and web three really became about people just like making money and like trying to find alpha. And I think for us, like we've been really, really intentional and deliberate about not calling this game play to earn or play and earn or not trying to over promise things. It's our core here is like, like, is this like, we're trying to draw on things that we loved as kids, right? It's like, we loved like these basketball video games as kids. We loved opening like, packs of cards as kids right and we think that if we're able to actually nail on these like experiences that people have fun with that the money will come afterwards and so that's what i really want to get across to our early users is like don't think about this as like a you know you're gonna buy in you're gonna flip it you're gonna make a ton of money it's no like we want people who just like love the game because at the end of the day like a successful game leads to successful community for everybody yeah, what does that community look like now and what do you expect kind of on launch in season maybe not zero but one? Like what would be success to you in that first season? Yeah, so for us is if we can just get like a thousand or two thousand people who are just like diehard like basketball manager fans, that would make me like incredibly happy with, with, with the first year. Um we're starting to see it already where we have about the same hundred people or so we have like five thousand people I think right now on our Twitter and Discord. Um and I think most people are there because they love basketball. We've been really deliberate about making sure that when it comes to like, you know, listing people that they're passionate about the game and they love it. But we see the same like couple hundred people there every single day talking like, like Anthony Davis's injury or like what they would do about like LeBron James and his future career. And so it's cool to see the organic conversations pop up about what they would do as real GMs because that type of thinking that we want in the ecosystem in the long run as well. Yeah, you mentioned you founded this with a lot of your your friends or at least have uh, some individuals that are like friends uh, working with you now. Get, you want to give them a shout out? I'm sure they're like into managing as well and into basketball. Two of the guys that I work with that are working on the team right now, Scott and Eddie, have been in the same fantasy basketball league as me for the past like almost a decade basically. And I want to say that Eddie is phenomenal. At, at, at fantasy sports we call him like eddie 2k because he's just good at basketball games and good at basketball and 2k in general um but the guy's kicked my ass in fantasy a number of years <laughs> <laughs> he's a better manager than me i would say <laughs> yeah well, well let's see your general manners or just like prediction skills in general like what is going to happen with lebron james's career what is he getting a ring um i'm i'm not feeling it this year um i think as long as the lakers have this weird combination of him, Russell Westbrook, and like injury prone Anthony Davis. I don't think he's going to win another ring with the Lakers. What should the Timberwolves be doing now to win a, another uh, ring? What should the Timberwolves do? Oh man, that's a great question. Um, Who do you guys have now? I know you had did you had Jimmy Butler back in the day, right? We're good now. We have. I mean, we're better than the Lakers this year. I think we're like the seven or six seed in the West. We made the playoffs this year. Um, I think it's just like a matter of developing the right talent and then being opportunistic about bringing like strong role players and mentors for folks like Kat, D'Angelo Russell, like Anthony Edwards, like those guys are definitely still developing and getting better. So it's like, you know, don't ring chase too quickly because they're all guys in like their mid twenties. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to keep them at that point. Right. Yeah. Uh, keep them together. Keep them together. Like keep investing in them. Yeah. 
How does trade? How does like? Uh, no, I'm not gonna get into that. That's like too weird a question. Uh, no, yeah, trading, but like, oh. if there's no like player want, because that's what you have to do IRL, right? Like, if Anthony Davis wants to go to the the freaking Suns, he's gonna go. Like, what? Like, somebody made this interesting comp the other day, which is uh, I don't know if a lot of your listeners have played Axie Infinity, for example, but the Axie Infinity game, right, is that like you have like the manager who like you know has a bunch of scholars working, and then the scholars, right? And the comp that I would draw for us is actually is like, you know, everybody's a manager and these scholars that are effectively like grinding or playing the game are AI, right? And so you can truly imagine actually like a world in which like, you know, AI injuries we've talked about, but AI like desirability of like, you know, I don't want to actually be a part of this team anymore. could also be something that would be algorithmically create. Yeah. AI desirability is exactly the question I was trying to ask, but I couldn't put a term on it. Like, has that word ever been talked about? AI basketball player desirability. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like definitely something to think about because it's definitely possible, right? It's like, you just say like, you know, this person, if they're not getting us a number of points or touches a game, they're going to be unhappy. Yeah, they're not winning enough. They're going to be unhappy, and that happens in real life. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, I had a couple more questions, but they're kind of escaping my mind right now. I feel like we're going down like multiple different pieces here. What, what's your uh, thoughts on the NFT industry as a whole right now? And you can kind of let me gather my thoughts on on the next one. But just as far as like a, from a market standpoint and and maybe a growth standpoint, where NFTs are right now. Um. I saw some crazy stat earlier this year. I'm sure the number has changed, but it was like there were fewer than like a million people who owned NFTs. Mm. I don't know if that stat resonates with you, man, but I, I remember I saw that and was like, wow, this is, we are still early. I know people say that a lot. It's like, oh, we're still early. But I saw that number and was like a million people. And I was like, I think I've since seen like a couple more million. I think it's just based on the chain that you're on. But I really think that this like next generation of NFTs and something that we care a lot about is like onboarding like the next million or 10 million or 100 million people. And we think something that like was really important here is like abstracting away the technology and just saying like you have this thing, right? And it's cool. The tech is really cool. But just like how like nobody really knows the databases that power like YouTube or like Instagram or TikTok, we think that blockchain is this really cool data layer that can just enable like awesome like new mechanics but not something that the regular user has to interact with every single day. Um, so that's what like, I hope the industry moves towards is just like letting the technology be something than just marketing, but actually just being a cool technology. Yeah. I want to get your take on open marketplaces here. Cause really that's been a, a main kind of barrier. I guess, I guess, you know, the, the project's own want to make money has been a barrier to an open marketplace, right? Like we mentioned riot earlier and I'm not throwing shade. I'm a riot player uh, in Valorant and league, but those are closed marketplaces and there's no like flow back out definitely to the user. What do you, what do you think about like open marketplaces as they exist maybe for VBA uh, as opposed to maybe having your own native marketplace and that just happened kind of there. Um, so we're partnering with magic Eden, which is I think the biggest Solana marketplace for our launch. Um, the way that we're thinking about marketplaces is, I think early days, one of the advantages of blockchain is that you don't have to build as much, right? Because you get ecosystem infrastructure, right? Like the marketplace is already there. We don't have to build a marketplace. Our challenge then becomes like, well, there's a lot of data that we have that's unique to us that the marketplace won't have in a general sense, right? Like we want to make sure that people can filter by like points per game or PER, or rebounds, whatever stat they're looking for on their team to be able to filter for it. And so we need to build our own tools, if not at least just reveal the API to other places to be able to distribute that. Um, and I think that same thing happens with like a lot of games today, right? Is like there's so much data behind like 
you know, like Elden Ring like assets or like, you know, any other like game assets that like, it's just hard for you to export that to an open marketplace because in order for a user to make an educated decision, they can't just see the thing. They need to know how good it is. So there's a lot of like, I guess with these open marketplaces, do you get more information or less information about an asset? You get less. And I think the child, and that's why PFPs are really easy to transact on the marketplaces because there's not really much to evaluate, right? It's the picture. And then you see the set of attributes and rarity, but they're just metadata, right? And you can sort of guess on that. But your only really evaluation afterwards is like, you kind of look at the community and basically it's like, all right, now I've evaluated this PFP. But in a game sense, it's like, okay, well, I want to know how this player's performed over the past season. I want to know how they performed in their past seven games. You know, I want to know how he does like, you know, as the point guard versus as a shooting guard. And you can't get that level of specificity out of open marketplace right now. Okay. Last question I have from like a technical sense, uh, maybe like a deeper sense, uh, and then we'll let you out of here, is how you look at DAOs, tournaments, and like a hundred thieves maybe wanting to like own a team within, you know, uh, the VBA. So I'm going to plug our good friends at Kraushaus DAO right now. I don't know if you've, you've met them or seen them in the space, but Kraushaus DAO is this DAO that wants to buy an NBA team. They have like 10,000 people. And their ambition is to buy like a real franchise. And we've been talking with them since November because something that's cool here, right, is that they can test their concept of like DAO governance in our world and say, okay, now their DAO owns a couple of teams and you can sort of see what it's like to run a team by a DAO, by a committee effectively and see what happens. And so I do think that that's something that's interesting, right, is we've also talked to a handful of other projects where they've been like, oh, I would love for my like DAO to own a team, right, and see what happens. and I. Because you'll you'll see like Dow Treasury scoop up these assets, right? Because they're just investment vehicles, and they and just like how like people get you know ownership groups together, you can see the same thing happening in in this world as well. Got it. Yeah, that's 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 really cool because you do have committees and things that own like yeah. teams. Like Chelsea is looking to be bought up by groups <laughs> instead of just like a single yes. individual. Yeah, 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 exactly. Love and it. oftentimes it's Love. ownership groups that come together to own these things. You very rarely see like. There are like the billionaires, right? Like the Mark Cubans owns like the team, right? But there's like yeah. minority stake owners as well that exist. Yeah, especially in like the bigger leagues, right? Maybe that was happening 15 years ago, but like all the big leagues now, like that's a lot of money you're talking about for. So you almost need these big ones. Uh, Charles, this has been a great conversation, uh, and we've had a lot live chat the whole time. We appreciate all the comments uh, and people following along here. Do you have anything else you want to plug? Maybe uh, plug a Discord or your your website, Twitter, uh, before we get up out of here? Yeah. Um, thanks for the opportunity to shill. Um, I'll say um, feel free to follow us along. Our handle everywhere is VBA Game, so V-B-A-G-A-M-E. That's on Twitter. That's our website. That's our Discord as well. Um, if you have more questions that weren't answered here, we're doing actually like a video or like an audio AMA in our Discord tomorrow, um, where my co-founder and I will just be answering everybody in the community's questions prior to Mint. We want to make sure that there's like no surprises. Everybody has the right expectations going into it because we think that's the best thing to people set up the community for success. And then my DMs are open. I try to be as responsive as possible. Um, I don't have that many followers though, so <laughs> I'm happy to chat with anybody who's interested at this point. Love it, man. Last question from the community. Who's winning it all this year? Oh, good question. Um, my money is, I think I have to plug the Nets. I'm, I think, I, I actually think the Nets are going to win it this year. I think if KD and Kyrie are both healthy, I think this is their season. They've been super volatile. Of course, you add Kyrie to any team, it's going to be like a kind of a circus. It's but... going to be volatile. Yeah. yeah, but they've been they've had a lot of injuries. I think they'll come back. Um, 
I'm curious to see what the Ben Simmons on the Nets team looks like. Okay. Yeah, I love it. I love it. All right, we're going to let you out of here. It uh, looks like you, your uh, people are coming back in as well, so I'm going to let you uh, go. <laughs> Thank you for spending your lunchtime uh, here on the Nifty Q Show. Thank you guys in the chat as well. Phenomenal uh, interview here. We are going to head out. Uh, and also, I'm going to plug one last thing. This is the first time I think – that a Squirtle and a Charmander owner ever got together and just had a good time. Cause I was, I didn't get Charmander. I, I was You're a big Squirtle, squirtle. guy. <laughs> so actually I was probably beating you with the, with the water over fire there. You were, you were kicking. Yeah. You were owning me, man. <laughs> Every single time. <laughs> Unless it's, yeah, I won't get too into Pokemon, but yeah. Anyways, man, it's been, it's been a blast. Thank you for having me here. It's been fun guys. I'll see you next week. Uh, we do have an NFT live tomorrow. Uh, come out and check out the updated episode. Otherwise Charles do CEO, Virtual Basketball Association. Great talk, man. Thanks again. Yep. Take care. Enjoy the rest of your day.